0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Happy 4th of July weekend as you head out into it. I hope people have a great weekend. Uh, It is one to celebrate for the ages. I have to say, um, someone said a few months ago that we should celebrate this July 4th as independence from the great uh, Wuhan breakdown. Um, And I think that's right. We've got to plow through it. So we'll talk about that. Welcome again. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Visit ProAmericaReport.com. You've heard some great interviews over the last couple of months. If you, I, I'm going to probably go through and take out uh, and list on one page all my book interviews, uh, people like John Cribbs, whose book *Old Abe* is so good. If you haven't read that, you need to read it. It's a kind of um, it's a kind of fictionalized. Well, it's not a kind of. It's a fictionalized account of the period from the time where Abe Lincoln ran for president and he died, and just extraordinary. And, and John Cribbs did a nice job. I hope he'll write more uh, of that kind of historical uh, fiction or fictionalized history is the way I'd say it. I don't know. There's got to be a better phrase. But anyway, lots of great interviews with authors. Uh, David Horowitz, the great David Horowitz, you could listen to his interviews on this program. I've had about 10 in the last year. They are like a primer on how to fight back against the madness. And he's got a new book out. Uh, you, anyway, go, we, I'm going to put that all together. But if you visit ProAmericaReport.com, you can also sign up for the daily email that goes out. The daily email goes out every morning, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. Check it out. All right. Uh, what do you need to know today well there's a number of things we could talk about i could get into the politics of things you know earlier on friday there was some jobs numbers it looks like the jobs numbers are better uh, than and then they've been it's good we need people working we need people getting off of the, the the giveaways and all and getting back to work we need our economy stronger so that's all good 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 i mean i would say this um, too many people are looking for workers and can't get them to work i've i keep, keep hearing that from listeners and from folks about how there is a shortage of workers. And my answer to people, be careful. You will see the messaging of the powers that be that will say, oh, there's a the shortage of workers. Let's get more uh, immigrants in, illegal, illegal, or, uh, illegal or otherwise. Hold on, hold on. The, part of the low employment problem is that uh, too many people have been getting a really good handout from the government for a while and it will stay that way. So it, um, it is very important that you uh, watch those things. And, but, but in general, we're in a strong place. Now, another, uh, another long conversation, that i had the other day was with a restaurateur an owner of a restaurant who told me that everything is up 25 percent. everything everything from produce everything you know uh cooking oil everything is up 25 percent. and he said it's passing on to the consumer and he said that's the inflation you are are going to see you may see it in cars and other things that uh um uh, another different friend of mine told me he went to buy a car and the, his friend is a car dealer and he said um We've got everything up over the uh, recommended prices because we can get it. The the market is tight and people want cars and all. So anyway, we're going to see inflation. That's true. But fundamentally, the economy is strong and it's going to get stronger and we just got to keep plowing through the mistakes of the idiot leaders in Washington and keep succeeding. But let's talk broadly about uh, 4th of July. I have been impacted in the last couple of months by General Flynn's uh, speaking, his speaking uh, on the subject of uh, freedom. And he'll talk about freedom. Here's a guy that knows what it's like to fight and, and risk your life. He knows what it's like to face really bad enemies. He knows what it's like to be uh, persecuted by prosecution. He's got a lot of perspective on freedom. And he's a, you know, he went to college at URI, but now he's done master's degrees and has gone on to lots of schools. So he's not a, he's a well-read character too. So when he speaks about freedom, it's very interesting that the transition he makes after talking about how important it is to understand where the threats are, how important it is to understand what's happening, his his perspective on the intelligence community, the deep state is profound, et cetera. But he almost always very quickly pivots to saying something that has given me a lot to think about. He says, before you have freedom, you have faith. And your faith, they can never take away from you. They can't even take it away from you when they take away your freedom of of association or your freedom of religion. They can take those freedoms from you by oppression, but they can't take your faith, which, as his description, is a personal relationship to the Almighty God, and he does not make a. He he happens to be Christian, <clears throat> but he talks a lot about how faith in God, in other words, recognizing our createdness and understanding the limitations of our awesomeness. You know, every person thinks that they're special, and we are a gift from God, image and likeness of God. But God is bigger, and so anyway. But it be back to this, 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 um, this this description that he makes about the call of this time, where it feels like so many freedoms are being threatened externally by government, uh, internationally by communist China, all these different threats to our freedom and challenges to our way of life. And what General Flynn has pushed people to do is to move backwards before freedom, the sort of public freedom, to faith. And I have to say, on this Fourth of July, when you look at the kind of history of our country, at all the key moments, you know, what knitted us together was a set of values that came out of that faith. It didn't mean, you know, I think it was, um, wasn't they like to say Thomas Jefferson was kind of a deist and didn't really believe any religion. I think that tends to be a modern uh, desire by the you know post-Enlightenment authors to want to say that about him. But all of the founders, even, uh, even Benjamin Franklin, who was sort of a, just a general um, uh, deist, he was, I think he went between different churches. Uh, but, but all of our founders and all the founding community were knitted together by these values that came out of their faith, came out of their faith tradition. And ultimately, they made the steps that gave us freedom based on something bigger than themselves. And I would say that was the faith. The same thing with people that, that uh, fought in these wars. You know, Imagine that the courage, and again, I think faith uh, pre- uh, uh, is before courage, <clears throat> because you have to have courage to say land at, at Normandy and run into those bullets, or some of these heroes you hear that ran back into the towers on nine eleven. you know the 20th anniversary, 9 is coming up in a few months. That courage, think about the courage. You know a lot of times I talk to people and I say, I didn't know that I had the courage that I do now, I know it now, until I had children. When I realized that I would do anything for my children Instantly, You know, I was trained, uh, you know, I was trained, we're all trained to be part of this community and we would, we would do anything we can for our community, our church community, our nation. And you can train yourself to be a military man or woman and go run towards the bullets. When you have a child, for me, when I had a child, I, I knew instantly, uh, that thing right there, I would die for that right now. I, w- I would step in front of a car, a train, a, a gun, whatever, for those children in a way that was so primal and different, different it, it almost stuns me, I mean, to think about it. And what my point here is, before courage even, before freedom, is a sense of faith. A faith in the createdness and the giftedness of human beings. And so the challenge right now, in this time where we see threats to our freedom, we recognize moments for courage, there are so many courageous people that are standing up to the intrusions of, of uh, government, standing up to the, the culture that's trying to stomp on their families, all these kinds of examples of people who are standing up and showing courage, they're coming out of a place of faith. By the way, it's not like somebody says, oh, by the way, I'm a man of faith, I'm therefore going to be courageous. Most of us don't think all of it through, we just live it. And what General Flynn does in his these speeches is very powerful because he pulls it back. So my point here is, on this 4th of July weekend, what you need to know is, at the heart of America, before our Constitution, before our Declaration, before our rule of law, before our uh, greatness as a nation, before that is faith, preceding that is faith. And the faith that knits us together makes all, it's like the operating system. The faith and values of faith are the operating system that allows all these things to flourish. It's one of the reasons why the left attacks our culture so hard, and it's one of the reasons that we must fight back against it so hard. Because if you lose the values, and again, you don't have to subscribe to a church, right? This isn't a call to have everyone become this type of uh, evangelical Christian or that type of Orthodox Jew. Uh, That's not. Faith is an understanding of the transcendent nature of human beings as opposed to the materialistic, secular, modern uh, nonsense that they try to say, you know, every man is a king. And in a certain sense, every man is a king, but not in the sense that they mean. And my point here is, and I'll finish. When you think about America now through the Flynn- prism of freedom, courage, all these things, and realize that before all of that is faith. The beauty of that is you and I can do it. We don't have to, we don't have to necessarily be the ones that lead the lawsuit, run for office or something. We can work on our faith and we can work on the faith of our families and around us and strengthen the culture of America When you celebrate the 4th of July, and happy 4th of July to you, remember at the heart of America is the core values that are at the center of which is faith. Can't have freedom without faith. Can't have courage without faith. And you need to work on your faith, we all do. God bless you, I'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back, Ed Martin. Here on a Pro America Report, as I mentioned in uh, the opening segment, Ken Blackwell. He was the mayor of Cincinnati. He was also the Secretary of State in Ohio. So he's he comes at the follow our, our conversation sort of uh, with plenty of real life experience. He's not a he's not a guy who's just been thinking about it. He's been doing it in terms of election integrity, in terms of how politics works, and so he's a very good resource. It's great to welcome him back. He's also uh, on the board of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. We've had a couple of the folks on Christian Adams on talking about the work they're doing is very important. So uh, welcome, Ken. How are you? Welcome back to the program, sir.
2: It is always good to be with you.
1: So let me ask you, first of all, as an observer, you know, I ran years ago, I ran the election board in St. Louis, St. Louis City. So I have a little bit of a sense like you do. When you woke up on, uh, well, let's, say, no, let's not say November 4th, let's say about Christmas time, when you look back and you were saying, there just were some things that didn't add up. Uh, there's no doubt about that, right? And I, and and the question now is, what's the smartest thing to do about it? You know that it didn't add up, and that there's all these kind of movements. The to, to, the Democrats want to dramatically change everything, and the, a lot of states. The Republican leaders are, are doing their own thing. What's your how did you how do you look at it globally?
2: First, let me just say that there were a number of things that made me say, huh. Like every president who gained votes in a re-election campaign has also won re-election for the last 150 years Trump gained 11 million votes more uh, than he had gained in 2016 Uh, but somehow Biden pulled off uh, a a miracle Uh, Biden shattered the popular popular vote record but won a record low of 17% mm-hmm. of the counties. And so hmm. things just didn't line up properly for me. Right. And, and so uh, as a good election administrator, you know, I started to look at a couple of things. One, uh, how tight in some of these battleground states and counties was the chain of custody of the ballots? Uh, what sort of verification systems and policies were in place to make sure people were who they actually claimed to be. And let me tell you what I, what I found out. You know, one, uh, you got to go back and look at the, uh, the atmospherics, the environment of, of, of 2020, and you have to keep in mind something that one of the old-time, Political operatives on on the Democrat side ha- has said, and that is never let a crisis go to waste. So if you go back <laughs> and look
1: at yeah.
2: uh, you look at American history. In 1918, we had the Spanish flu, flu pandemic. In 1920, we had major ec- 29. 1929, we had major economic disruption. In 1968, we had urban violence across the country. In 1974, we had an impeachment crisis. Well, in 2020, we had all of the above, and so <laughs> it, it, it was a target-rich opportunity. Uh, for not letting a crisis go to waste. And what happened was chain of custody of ballots loosened up. Uh, Verification systems pushed to the side. And so you had state after state where voters were losing confidence in the final tally begin to put in place common sense policies that would give us Greater election integrity, and so so it's pretty simple. Uh, And and but the other thing that we know is that the left is running a pretty aggressive strategy. They want to federalize our elections. They want to give DC statehood so they can pick up a couple more seats. They want mass Mm -hmm. amnesty so you not only have you know, a nation without borders, you will have voters without borders, and then they want to pack the courts. So it, it, it all fits out of that playbook. And so those of us who understand that it is not just about voting rights, but it's about the duties of citizenship to make sure we take common sense practices to protect legal ballots from being negated by illegal ballots thereby raising voter confidence in the results.
1: We're talking with Ken Blackwell. Uh, Ken Blackwell, who's uh, played a number of different roles uh, in the in the country, uh, elected officials, mayor of Cincinnati, and then uh, secretary of state of Ohio. But uh, also uh, been a leader, and now is on the board of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Which, uh, if you go to uh, publicinterestlegal.org, you'll see it's a five hundred one c three dedicated to election integrity. More than ever seems wise. Ken, uh, when you watch it across the country, I'm kind of hard on people. You know, talk show host, you got to do it. I mean, I guess, but I'm hard on our state leg- our state legislature. You know, uh, all the Republicans said, oh, my gosh, this was terrible. There's something wrong. What are we going to do? And then only a couple of states really got after it, you know, and, and um, you know, sometimes it, it, those of us that have seen up close uh, lawmaking, especially at the state level, some things don't happen the first time you want them, even if it's earnest, even if it's uh, you know. so it, 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 how uh, opt- how optimistic are you? How encouraged are you that we're going to see the kinds of checks on the problems of the elections, the kind of checks and balances passed in our state legislatures, you know, for, to protect 2022? Uh, are you confident on that? Are you feeling like the momentum's going the right way? Give me, give, encourage me a little bit, please.
2: <laughs> I am very <laughs> in- in- encouraged because i think more and more people both elected officials and everyday citizens are beginning to realize that there is a direct threat to our constitutional republic uh, this this year we're 245 years old And what we know, as Lincoln said, is that we are not a perfect union, but we are a perfectible union. And if, in fact, Mm -hmm. you start to see the improvements that have been made over those 200 and and and, and uh, forty five years not only in uh, advancing and making sure that barriers are are, are knocked down to full participation and citizenship uh, from, for all of our citizens but to build integrity in our election system you you, you actually you know, can can come to grips with the fact that we must be engaged, uh, and I think state legislatures are taking common sense approaches. In Georgia, you know, where they put in reforms that were pretty common sense, uh, they got attacked, they got branded as as racist. But when you compare, let me just use an example: they moved the All Star Game of Major League Baseball. From right. Atlanta, Georgia to Denver, Colorado, you look at the reforms in Georgia compared to the established pro- uh, policies and practices in Colorado. There's not a damn bit of difference between the two, you know. And mm-hmm. so we 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 kept pushing, you know, right past this whole charge of racism. And what we have now found out is that not only are most citizens, but most black citizens, they are hungry for. Voter ID, because they know that's the way that you build confidence in the results. Yeah, let me just ask you and your listeners. Yeah, I, I right. sat on the board of Fifth Third Bank, a Fifth Third right. Bank holding company. It's a major bank in the Midwest. Do you think that we had to have our banks robbed before we started to take common sense you know, steps? to protect mm-hmm. right. dollars that are in the bank. No, right. we, we, we did. We don't. And we didn't, right. you know, when I was on the board. That's the same thing that's happening now. People are take, making common sense, taking common sense steps to, to make sure that we have confidence in the results of our elections.
1: You know, I just heard from one of our listeners uh, who emailed me and he had this assertion. I'll assert it to you to see if, how you respond. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the reasons they said that uh, Stacey Abrams has come out in favor of uh, whatever the halfway proposal of Joe Manchin, some kind of some kind of fake uh, f- uh, voter ID protection. And, and, and someone said it's because they're desperate to get some of this through because they're actually worried about the states, that the states are rising up. And, and at least in the, the states that have um, Republicans in charge, they're, they're doing their protection again are, are we it's easier you know this ken you were in the era as a ohio secretary of state where you had the left had the secretary of state project that was funded by george soros that was out right. running candidates for second for a highest election official in the state because they knew that was important to them um uh, do, do does our side understand you might care about taxes you might even care about abortion but if you don't fix the elections they're going to roll these elections over us over and over again are, are you again confident people are catching on and that the, the conservatives slash Republicans know what they've got to do?
2: Well, I, I, I hope so, because what I've been doing is crisscrossing the country, talking to citizen groups, and i basically, and, and, and Republicans. I've said Republicans have to stop acting as if they are a 90 pound weakening minority party. You know, we control more governorships, more state legislative chambers, more county commission seats. You know, we are a majority party across this nation. We can't act as if we're some 90-pound weakling. And, and, and people respond to clarity. They respond to authenticity. Uh, and they understand uh, that you know, we, we have a choice. We can get locked mm-hmm. into the New York Times 1619 project model Which says that America is irreparably racist and it must be leveled. Or we can understand that in 1776, we put in place, uh, the, the founders put in place, a system that has produced the most robust, the most prosperous constitutional republic and form of government in all of human history and people are not knocking our doors down to get out they are knocking our doors down to get in legally and illegally
1: Right, right, exactly. Well, uh, Ken Blackwell, I, I'm very glad, especially on this one, the Public Interest Legal Foundation, publicinterestlegal.org, that you're out there. I mean, I'm always glad when you're out there. I could spend another whole conversation. I, I never brought it up because I'm not sure why it matters. Ken Blackwell happens, if you haven't seen a picture, happens to be an African-American. We could have talked about critical race theory, all these things. I, I, your expertise is elections. Um, so I'm glad we're not – not glad, I'm glad I don't care what, <laughs> to have you as a black man. I care because you're an expert on this stuff. So, But thanks for being out there on so many uh, good issues, and, uh, and we'll – I bet we'll uh, talk to you again about the uh, election integrity. So, thanks very much, Ken Blackwell.
2: God bless you, Ed.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody. Ken Blackwell, we'll take a break and be right back. Zed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Been looking forward to this interview for a long time now. Martin Dugard is the co-author of the Killing series with Bill O'Reilly. The book after book, one after another, has been a bestseller, but also really, really well written, kind of moving through history, killing Kennedy, killing Patton. Uh, amazing. But he's got a new book coming out in just a few weeks. It's uh, probably a couple months now called Taking Paris, the epic battle for the city of lights. Uh, Martin Dugard joins us. How are you, sir? I'm great. Uh, Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you on, and the Liberation of Paris, for people that need to know that Paris fell in uh, 1940, and it was really not liberated for just over four years, so four years later. But in the description of your book, which I haven't read your book yet, but I wanted to have you on because in just uh, 10 days will be the uh, the birthday, the 100th birthday of a guy named Jack Singlob, who was in the French Resistance. He was an American American uh, Jedberg, one of these military guys, dropped behind lines, and when you read the descriptions of taking Paris, it was... Yeah, okay, as you point out, uh, Churchill was involved, Roosevelt was involved, Patton, uh, de Gaulle, but there were these resistance fighters, and over 120,000 Parisians were, were killed under the German occupation. I mean, this was a city under siege. So first of all, how'd you get to this one? You've been writing these killing books. How did this story, uh, this, this historical thing, grab your attention? Uh,
3: you know, I, I wrote history before I started working with Bill, and we had a gap between killing books. And uh, uh-huh. I wanted to do a solo <laughs> project. And I thought, you know, let's do something World War II. Uh, and this book was basically supposed to be about just the last four weeks of, of the, the Paris being occupied. It will start with George Patton. It will go into the liberation right. of the city. Uh, but as I began writing, I realized to tell the story... Uh, you know, all the way through to give it uh, context. I had to start with May 1940 in the fall of Paris, and then take it all the way through and tell the story of the resistance, tell the story of um, the people of Paris, the atrocities in Paris, and you know, also have you know Patton and, and Churchill and De Gaulle and all the other things
1: it's again we're talking with Martin Dugard and you can go to his website uh, martin like my name martin and then dugard d u g a r d.com and you can see all of his different books there and uh, and uh, blog and other things um okay so four years people don't realize the scope of the uh, of the occupation because you know the uh, americans kind of memory is okay well we we got in the war and you know we kind of think we telescope everything together i mean paris was transformed but germany didn't burn it down right they they killed a lot of people, but they didn't destroy the city, did they? Didn't. And so what
3: happened was, you know, the people of Paris, they, they loved the city so much that they made it an open city as the Germans approached, which means that they didn't defend it. They didn't have any armament So when the Germans came, they literally just walked in. Um, and, you know, when the Germans captured, I'm getting into the weeds here, but when the Germans uh, captured, for instance, Poland, they burned every place down, they assassinated people, they killed partisans. Uh, yeah, with Paris. Yeah. At the, very, at, at, the, at the first with Paris, they were so delighted to control Paris that they, they pretended like they were just visitors, we're just having fun. Everybody just get on with your lives like you normally would. But then as the resistance started acting out, as the people of Paris began to rebel about the German presence, then it got ugly. As some people started getting shot, that's what they took away all the food and uh, and then it just became more and more violent, more and more desperate than people of Paris.
1: Uh, but but again, when when so when the liberation finally happens, is Paris broken? I mean, it, would you say you know its infrastructure shot and the people are shot? I mean, how, what's the? I guess the next book is what's the recovery look like? Because Paris that we know, it, you know, th- thrived again.
3: Yeah, you know, it's a crazy thing that the Germans had wired every single bridge over the Seine to blow, and uh, uh-huh. at the last minute, at the last minute, uh, von Choltitz, the German general who was, was in charge of the city, decided not to destroy the city, uh, even though Hitler kept uh, telegramming him about every hour saying, is Paris burning? Is Paris burning? Because Hitler wanted the city just destroyed like Stalingrad. He wanted knocked to the ground. Um, so in, in the way I tell the story, too, is I, I try not to make it like this dry history. I try to tell it like the killing books, you know, very fast-paced, very, you are there, you know, told in the present tense. It's one of those things where people should feel as if uh, it's a page turner. It's the kind of book you take to the beach.
1: Yeah, uh, we're t- again. We're talking with uh, Martin Dugard and about his book, which is coming out in in a uh, in a few um, in a few months, and it's called uh, "Taking Paris: The Epic Battle for the City of Lights." Uh, Martin, I did want to bring you on. I mentioned Singlob General. S- he became a general. Singlob turns a hundred on July tenth, and he was one of these Jedburghs. And one, the, one yeah. the, the 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 thing that was extraordinary about this, by the way, you guys should do. You should you should probably do it. I don't know how you do killing killing Jedburghs doesn't work. Although the, a lot of them died actually. I mean, ma- there were about four hundred Jedbergs, Americans, and I think hundred survived because they were dropped behind the enemy lines. But I, I, I guess I want when we saw in the last four years that the, the opposition to Trump was called the resistance. That was really comical compared to the resistance. These were people that were being executed if you got caught, or killing themselves if they got caught so they wouldn't rat on everybody, and and actually organizing the the nation which was under occupation. Right? I mean that that part of this story, this resistance, which was led by lots of different uh, facts and wasn't always clean and easy is is extraordinary moment in history.
3: Well, it's what's amazing to me about it is that you've had people before the war who were just average people, you know, scientists and shopkeepers and, uh, you know, nobody right. special, nobody with nobody with military training. Um, and it took it upon themselves to do some amazing acts of expi- espionage, uh, you know, uh, single-handedly... Um, you know, undoing German supply trains, uh, amazing stuff. And They basically taught themselves how to resist. And they took their cue from uh, the Huguenot resistance from the 18th century. And uh, huh. that's where the, where the term resistance came from. And, uh, yeah, it's like the same thing when people say compared to COVID with being, ocup- you know, the Paris occupation, you know, having to, you know, wear masks and uh you know, not be able to grow out of your house for a while, and it's it's ludicrous. People make these these huge leaps, now, and I, for myself, can't imagine what it was like to to live in an occupied city like that with a, the constant threat of of death or someone knocking at your door at two o'clock in the morning to haul you away. It's it was very very bad.
1: It is amazing. All right. A couple more things because we're I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna when the book comes out, isn't the book coming out in September? Is it September seventh the book comes out, the the this one that we're talking 100%. about t- taking yeah. Okay, good. So we're, we're early, but I want to do that because I mentioned I want to talk about this topic and build up to it over these couple of months. I'll come back to it. I'll probably try to have you back on again, but I got to come up with some other things because, and Martin Dugard has written all these books with Bill O'Reilly, which means probably everybody thinks you write them and O'Reilly yells at you, but we'll just okay. leave that aside. But what uh, on your website, martindugard.com, what is the paper Kenyon? I mean, it's a blog, but how'd you get the title?
3: Uh, I took it you, you probably get the reference George Plimpton who was the great sports writer
1: ah oh, right 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 yeah he right. wrote the
3: book The Paper Lion about remember he yep, he, yep, he yep, played quarterback yep, for the Lions yep. for summer and so right. he, I'm, a, I'm a distance runner my my hobby in the afternoons is I coach the distance runners at the local high school and so right. I, I personally am, I am not Kenyan <laughs> Sorry that's <laughs> that's... Of, of the paper Kenyan uh, it's very aspirational so uh, yeah that's where that came from
1: that's what I figure I would, my next question was going to be about this uh, your coaching uh, in your biography it says of all these things you got a million bestsellers and all these things and then coaches uh, uh you know track and field at, at a high school nearby uh okay one more thing on this are there more killing series that you can tell us about that are coming the killing patent are there more coming
3: there we uh as I <laughs> right now as I stand here my computer is is waiting for me to come back to it because the book is due to the publisher in a week and we got a little ways to go. Uh, but yeah, there was a new killing book coming out this fall. We have not announced yet. Um, and hopefully we might do a few more after that. It's, uh, for me, it's a great gig. I love working with Bill. Uh, he, uh, you know, we share the, we share the load equally and he's a great yeah. storyteller. He's, he's got a great way with the narrative. And so we complement yep. each other very well.
1: Well, I told this to Kilmead. Kilmead wrote a couple of books recently. Anything that popularizes history and makes it interesting is so important. So it's great. All right. I've got to run, unfortunately. Uh, Martin Dugard, thank you. MartinDugard.com. I'll put it up, and the new, new book is uh, is coming out. It's a few months away still, but Taking Paris, the Epic Battle for the City Lights. We'll talk more about it. And I'll be talking next week more about the French Resistance uh, because of my friend, uh, General Jack Singlob. So thank you, sir, for the time. My, my pleasure. Thanks very much. And I'd love to come back up. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. Thanks very much. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, and you can listen to these interviews again. It's a great interview here, and I'll put it up on social media, too. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Regardless of where you stand on the verdict in
1: the Derek Chauvin murder trial, I hope you will agree with me that the accused in every case is entitled to due process under the law. The likelihood of a fair trial for Chauvin vanished when the trial judge denied a motion routine in this type of case, that is, to transfer the trial location to a place free of prejudicial publicity and intimidating protests. The judge also refused to sequester the jury during the trial, and an alternate juror said she had trouble getting back to her house from court because protesters were blocking the interstate. Jurors also had to worry about being doxed which is a practice where a person's private information, such as their name, residence, or employer, might be revealed on the Internet for possible retaliation. In one sad case of doxing, a hacker caused the firing of a Virginia police officer who anonymously gave merely $25 to the defense fund of Kyle Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse is the teenager facing murder charges for his self-defense against a leftist mob. How can a jury remain impartial when it's constantly threatened by a mob of angry leftists who are seemingly impervious to facts and reason? We would all like to think that we could remain committed to the proper dispensation of justice if we're called to be in their place. But who among us wouldn't have second thoughts when the lives of our spouses and children potentially hang in the balance? And this doesn't even account for those on the Chauvin jury who are under a very different kind of influence. The internet exploded when the news surfaced that one member of the jury had attended an event at which Floyd's relatives spoke in 2020. To make matters worse, a photo of the juryman at the event showed him wearing a shirt promoting Black Lives Matter and a dubious narrative condemning Chauvin. All of this potentially disqualifying information was kept secret from the court during the jury selection. We deserve to have faith in our right to due process. We need to take drastic action to keep the politics out of the courtroom before more Americans cast doubt on the criminal justice system.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The lines have been drawn, those who support law and order and those who don't. Of course, criminals who burn cities and loot businesses want to defund the police. Phyllis chronicles a plan to keep the streets of America safe. Go to Phyllis Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report hey let's pick up uh on this story uh, that is making the rounds of general milley general milley is the joint chiefs of staff guy right he's the guy that um last year when uh, president trump walked over to the to the church across lafayette square milley came in uniform and uh and later then he, he uh, apologized to everybody he groveled around and apologized he's being kept on by i was about to say president Biden, Obama, but I mean, President Biden as Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, uh, as the chief of the Joint Chiefs of Staff right now, as the leader of it. And you have to wonder why. Well, here's the re- a pretty good reason why. If you saw his testimony, he went on this rant where he basically said, "Yeah, you know, I we have to we have to study um, we have to study all the history. We have to study the history. I mean, people are lecturing us about critical race theory." General Milley said. I'm 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 summarizing his testimony. We study everything. I, I went to West Point. I study all sorts of things. I'm really smart. Don't don't judge me. I'm really top notch. And we all of our leaders at the top levels have to ju- have to study hard. And we're we're studying. Yeah, sure, we're studying Marx. It doesn't make us Marxists. We're studying Lenin. It doesn't make us communists. Oh well, what are we just doing here and but what he's not saying and what he's not admitting to is they're changing what they're teaching it's not that people are reading we should read about satan but we should tell them that it's wrong we should read about lenin and marx and tell everyone that it's wrong and tell them what's right so he's falling into the same jive and i'll put this up on social media the same jive That I told you happened with Common Core. Remember what Common Core was. They've always had names for how they manage the education of our children. And about seven or eight years ago, they came up with Common Core. And it sounds benign. It's like uh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, Oh, matter? Oh, yeah, lives matter? Sure, why not? Common Core? Oh, well, well, Common Core curriculum? Who doesn't want to have a Common Core curriculum? Let's make sure we do it right. Except they used it as a way to tell you Not tell you, tell your kids, direct your kids into certain tracks which is to me very communist, actually. The Soviets did this, where your kids are going to be guided by what they want to teach you into what they want to do. And and here's my point. Parents objected to Common Core and people like Jeb Bush, who was a proponent of Common Core, because the powers that be wanted to make sure that they got the right people, excuse me, the right workers. And so they wanted to tell, oh, I want this many of this worker, this many of that worker. We'll be in charge of telling your kids what to do. Again, by the way, I'm not against... The notion that kids, not everyone should go to college even. There's lots of kids that would do better to start a business, go to tech school, whatever. Take a gap year, take five gap years, you know, take some time, whatever. Whatever. But what is objectionable is the elite group of people who were doing Common Core and they didn't want you to be able to ask about it. They just wanted to go on, little buddy. Go ahead. We're no better than you. We're smarter than you. The guy who did a lot of the Common Core now runs the SAT. He runs the company, that does the SAT. So now they're going to, he controls the testing. So, but my point here is when they were caught doing Common Core, you know what they did? They changed the name. They said, oh, no, we're not doing Common Core. But they were doing the same types of education control. That's what's happening with critical race theory. Now we're being told critical race theory is not a program. There's no textbook for it. But we're we're, we're just we're just trying to be open-minded. No. The point is if you study Satan and don't say Satan is wrong, evil, you're not doing the right thing. There's not a moral equivalency. And don't be don't kid a kidder when you tell me that you're teaching people, teaching critical race theory is changing what we've taught or what we should teach about our history and about our, na- our very nature of our nation and making it something it isn't. That's what it is. That's what we've got here. So you ought to watch the Millie clip. It'll, it'll, make you, it'll, it'll surprise you. It'll surprise you. All right, I've got to go though, everybody. Thank you as always to our great producer, Noah. Thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up there. Also listen to these great interviews again and I'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.